The purpose of Retire with Style is to help you discover the retirement income plan that is right for you. The first step is to discover your retirement income personality. Start by going to resaprofile.com style and sign up to take the industry's first financial personality tool for retirement planning. You know what would make retirement income planning even more fun? More numbers. Well, at least we think so. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Retire with Style. I'm Alex, and I'm here with my trusted companion, Wade. Hi, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and last episode, we spoke, we, we sort of did an investment-heavy market review, year-end market review. And while we made a point to talk about that, look, within the context, it's really not a big deal what happens in the last 12 months based on the the Earth's revolution around the sun. Or is it the sun's revolution around the world, Earth? Uh, uh, no. <laughs> right, Copernicus? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we, we, what we try to do is what, what's the context and, and how to really interpret it. And what Wade, Wade has created a, for a few years now, he has this, these running indices that I think really provide excellent context of how you can take what's been happening and, and introduce it within a retirement income lens, if you will, view it within a retirement income lens. So today we'll take uh, the market returns last year and take it, view it through a glass darkly. <laughs> now I'm kidding. Uh, and, and just review it with, within the context of these retirement distribution rules. And, and Wade, you want to take some time and, and just start uh, laying the groundwork for this? Sure, sure. And so, right, this retirement uh, income dashboard, I believe, we started in 2015. It's been quite a while. It's It's been available. It's not something that I, I used to update it quarterly. That <laughs> I think before January 2023 when I updated it, it had last been updated in April 2021. So it has been a little Wait, while. Wait, I, I think there's an inverse uh, in terms of the number of emails you get relative to the amount, the amount of times this has been updated, you know, since 2015. <laughs> and now, I mean, you're, you've kind of blown up <laughs> in a good way. Oh, yeah, that could be. Yeah. And, and <laughs> because of that, I must say, Wade, <laughs> I'm noticing we now are, are putting these podcasts on, on YouTube and we, we got a great review, but they did say, hey, we're, we're talking too long. So this is an exhibit of that. But now that we're on YouTube, Wade, did you cut your hair recently? I, I think you're, you're due for a haircut. I've never seen you with hair I, this long. No. No, I got a haircut actually last week. Really? I had much longer hair. This is though the first haircut I've gotten. I was noting in almost 20 years. That wasn't just a simple buzz cut. Oh, so, really? Did you drive with the windows yeah. down this morning then or something? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I did wear a hat when I took my kids to school this morning. <laughs> and I may not have. Yeah. <laughs> look at you fixing it. It's kind of the. There you go. Look, there you go. No, no, no. You look sharp. Yeah, it makes you look hipper. This, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. all right sorry I, I digress wade uh so <laughs> you haven't updated them 2015 you you were updating them quarterly take it away <laughs> <laughs> right so 
It's really, there's two different aspects of the retirement income dashboard. And the top part we'll talk about first. And that's, I thought, a really cool concept. It, it didn't take off necessarily in the way that I thought, wow, this is revolutionary back seven years ago. Maybe it still has some potential, but I, I think it's a really interesting idea. We'll talk about that first. And then the second part of the dashboard is getting into all the numbers that if you are looking to build a retirement income strategy today, how much could you get through a bond ladder, through an annuity, through a distribution strategy from an investment portfolio? And that's what the dashboard is all about. It relies on the idea that as interest rates fluctuate in particular, and probably most importantly, that impacts sustainable spending from bonds, from annuities, from an investment portfolio. And so it tries to put some context around that idea. And that, that sort of discussion gets in the news a lot with Morningstar. Uh, I was part of the original Morningstar study back, uh, again, this was maybe 2013, 2014. Uh, that's since been taken over after David Blanchett left Morningstar by some of the other folks there. But they provide updated numbers on safe withdrawal rates. And they talked a while back about a 3.3% withdrawal rate, uh, more, most recently a 3.8% withdrawal rate. And it's the same sort of context or concept of what the retirement dash, income dashboard is doing, which is just providing that sort of update on sustainable spending strategies it's, based on the market environment that changes over time. To your point, Wade, there's, there's kind of these two start of the year reports that come out that kind of get headlines for the week and then die off. Well, there's three things. The first one is always people have fun always pointing out how wrong people were the previous years in terms of their forecast. You know, there, there's always that <laughs> that you can always look forward to every year, right? Uh, the best headline I saw was profits and losses, but profits spelled as in like a, a biblical profit, <laughs> if you will. Uh, the second sort of article that you see pretty consistently at the start of every year is what's the expected return of the stock market going for? Because new dividends, PE ratios, et cetera. And then the third one that's a newcomer that I'm seeing now more and more is is this, is what's the safe withdrawal rate right now? You know, and so I think you were ahead of the curve, you know, with regards to that. Uh, you know, I, I think this mm -hmm. this this is this yeah, is an important part. The other thing is we're talking about a dashboard, just so you know, it. This is on retirementresearcher.com forward slash dashboard. Retirementresearcher.com forward slash dashboard. We'll put it in the show notes. But this is actually a great resource if you're an advisor. It's a great resource to get to start getting like quick and dirty numbers, you know, to get an assessment of things. And if you're a consumer, it's a good, it's a good reality check, you know, uh, you know, from a savings standpoint and from a distribution standpoint. Yeah. And if it, that slash dashboard is too much to remember, if you just go to retirementresearcher.com, there's a tab along the top of the webpage. It's home about articles, resources, if you hover over resources, the dashboard is on the bottom of the list there. So it's pretty easy to get to. It is freely accessible. It's not behind any sort of paywall or anything. And it's updated somewhat infrequently, but uh, it gives you that look at where we are uh, in terms of sustainable spending and, and retirements over time and provides some historical context around that. Okay. So and that being said, shall we yeah, begin? Let's go down the list. The first one is called the Retirement Wealth Index. I think to keep it consistent, maybe a, a description of what that is, what are some assumptions, and what do the numbers say? What do you think, Wade? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. And this I, I thought was a pretty neat idea back again, going back seven years ago. It still is, so, Wade. It still is. It, was, it still is. <laughs> You're doing God's yeah, work. Yeah, we like having these. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't. It didn't catch like wildfire or anything, but uh, it's there. And it's the idea is to just provide some sort of benchmark around if you've been saving consistently for your retirement, how much should you have saved up, and how would that compare on a historical basis to people who are following the same sort of investment strategy as you, but just had different market returns because they were saving at different periods in history. So it's a pretty simple idea. It's, it, you'd have, it doesn't translate directly into any real world situation, but it's an index. It's for the last 30 years, I've been saving for retirement. My salary has grown with inflation over the last 30 years. And I save 15% of my salary each year. Uh, I invest it, save and invest. Uh, over that 30-year period, and I invest in a, a target date fund, and the target date fund strategy is reflective of kind of the average target date funds that you'll find out there. With, and it's the idea you invest more aggressively when you're 30 years away from retirement, and you work your way into a less aggressive stock allocation as you get closer to retirement. And, and then it's just reflecting. Mm-hmm. No, no, go on, go on. Yeah, yeah. How much wealth do you have at your retirement date? And in January 2023, you would have had about 9.8 times your final salary. Again, with with these simplified assumptions, you've been investing for the last 30 years, saving 15% of your salary a year, investing it in a target date fund. Doing that would have allowed you to accumulate 9.8 times your final salary. Okay. And that is on the low side. So let me put this in one more perspective. So I'm a 35-year-old person, and I'm going to save for the next... 30 years until I'm 65 when I retire. I'm going to, mm-hmm. you have to start at a number. So you pick some sort of basic number, let's say 100 grand or whatever, right? And you start saving, right? From 35 to 65, consistently saving 15% of your salary and your salary is affected by inflation. Correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. So mm-hmm. then it, it changes, right? So at the end, I'm 65 years old and that 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 $100,000 salary is now whatever, but more importantly, let let's say the hundred thousand salary is inflation was zero, right? And so you still are making a hundred thousand dollars thirty five years later. That what that's saying is your wealth would then be nine point nine point eight times that nine hundred and eighty thousand dollars. Wait, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever the final salary. Yeah, whatever is, the final salary is. Times that's that. how much so you would have. Nine hundred and eighty. Nine hundred and eighty thousand. Sorry. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> that is at the 17 percentile. That means that that number is lower than 83% of any other 30-year periods since 1950. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, those 30-year periods are calculated since 1950, so using data going back to around 1920. Okay. And so interestingly, right. perfect. No, 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 go on. Well, the, the highest that ever was, was just slightly uh, past January of 2000, when you would have had more than 19 times your final salary. The lowest that ever was, was back in 1982, when you would have only had about seven times your final salary. And really, the only times that you would have had less wealth than at the present was that gap from the late 1970s through the mid-1980s. That during that period, you would have accumulated less and also slightly in the early 1950s. When he means less, he means less, less than, than what you would end up with right now. 
Remember, this is, yeah, this less is actually that, less than now. Yeah, yeah. The, the 9.8, 9. 8 is a low number, 9. historically speaking. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and, and at any other point, you would have had more. And even a year ago, so in early 2022, that number was about 11 and a half times the final salary. Hmm. You, you know what gets me upon looking at this chart? Because there, there's a lot of variability here, right? We, you're right. I mean, in the like right before the dot-com crash, if you would have followed the same disciplined strategy of saving, you would have had you know roughly 19 times your salary. Whereas now you do the same disciplined saving, you only have 9.8, 10 times your salary. Same consistent disciplined strategy. It doesn't mean that the one that the person that did it now is wrong. It's just how much fortune plays into you know your retirement account. Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting. It's still you know it's stock for the long term, yes, and it's still better than just doing nothing with it, not saving. Etc. But it's funny, huh? Wait, how it's funny, not in a comical sense, yeah. but just interesting. It illustrates the the lifetime sequence of returns risk because yeah, these exactly. are people who are behaving in an identical manner. They're 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 great savers, saving fifteen percent a year for thirty years, and it's just what was the sequence of returns they got? If if they retired in two thousand, they've got almost nineteen times their salary saved up. If doing the same strategy, if they retired in nineteen eighty two, they've got about seven times their salary saved up. It's a big difference, and it's we talk about sequence of returns post retirement, <laughs> but it applies pre retirement as well. It's kind of what were you in a lucky scenario when you're doing your savings, or were you in an unlucky type market scenario? And it's the market returns close to the end of that thirty year period matter a lot more because that's when you have all your savings accumulated and you've put money into the account, and all your savings are being hit by those returns. Uh, compared to early in your career when you haven't put much, in, much into the account yet. Yeah, you're right. I mean, this is the worst time than the, the 70s through the early 80s and the and the start of the 1950s, really. This is comparable to those times. Yeah. Sorry, everyone. No, I mean, it's one <laughs> of those things. Uh, and how does this dovetail into what you called in the next graph, the Retirement Affordability Index? Right. So the, the Retirement Affordability Index, and actually there's some good news, not great news necessarily, but good <laughs> news wanna, coming out of we this. Don't, we want to keep it <laughs> consistent. In that. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's taking your wealth number and kind of just doing a simple calculation on what sort of like annuity income stream could you generate with your savings. Not that you're necessarily, it's not the recommendation to buy the annuity from that, but just where where interest rates are and how that impacts what sort of sustainable spending strategy you'd be able to do. And with the Retirement Affordability Index, the fact that interest rates did come up quite a bit in 2022 kind of leads to an interesting scenario. So the replacement rate, and this is still not a great number, it's 38.7%. And what that means is Based on the fact that you had in January 2023, 9.8 times your salary saved up, when you turn that into an income stream based on where interest rates are, you could expect to replace 38.7% of your salary. Or to put numbers on that, if your salary is $100,000 at retirement, you'd saved up $980,000, and you could expect to have an income stream generated from that at $38,700. So if you wanted to buy a personal pension, hey, I don't work for the school. I don't work for whatever, some government agency. I don't have a pension. I want to buy a pension. This is the going rate of what you could get. You're 980000 mm-hmm. 
right now will buy you roughly $38,700 worth of income a year. Yeah, and that's inflation adjusted. I, I didn't mention that, which today, will, and this will come up again later, you can't purchase a CPI adjusted uh, annuity right now. So you couldn't actually purchase the financial product that would give you this income stream. But if you could, it, it would offer about that particular level so, of income. So if someone's asking, what about a non-inflation adjusted annuity, just directionally, what what do you, th- if you had to like guesstimate, what do you think? Well, it would be the same idea that interest rates have been coming up and that would support okay. more more income. Uh, it's just it would not adjust for inflation after that point. Uh, I got now, you. So 38000 would stay steady is what you're saying on this one. Mm-hmm. Got you. Yeah. Yeah. Steady with inflation growth, just like how the 4% rule is designed. And this number is actually not that far away from 4% given that what we're talking about almost 10 times the salary saved and then uh, almost a 40% replacement rate. But uh, this number would have been the highest again around the year 2000, where you could have had more than a 100% replacement rate. You could have more than replaced your pre-retirement salary with the savings you accumulated based on interest rates at that time. Yeah, and then the even though in the you early 1980s, a raise. <laughs> yeah, you would have gotten a raise, actually. You're closer to 110%. <laughs> and it, it's been higher, like in the early 2000s, after the the early the downturn, like after 2002, when markets started recovering again, that number was hovering between 70 and 80 percent as a replacement rate. The financial crisis brought it down to around 50 percent, and then as interest rates continued to decline afterwards. That number since the financial crisis has just been somewhere between 40 and 50%. And then just over the last couple of years, uh, when interest rates got to such extreme lows, dipping below 40%. Well, wait, why are you saying, and and I wanted to make sure everyone catches a caveat because you you said it, but I want to make sure it's sort of digested. Even though the markets have gone down because interest rates have gone up, the actual retirement affordability index hasn't been hit as hard as you would think. Let's take a moment to let the audience know that this show is sponsored by Retirement Researcher. You can learn more about Retirement Researcher at retirementresearcher.com and subscribe to our newsletter where you'll receive weekly actionable information for your retirement planning benefit. Retirement Researcher is an online community devoted to helping you create the retirement income plan geared towards your goals. Right, right. And that's the, the silver lining. And I think this applies a lot to just the broader uh, issue of a lot of people listening may have less financial assets today than they did at the start of 2022, because 2022 was a really rough year for stocks and bonds, as we reviewed with Bob in last week's episode. But at the same time, you have those losses, your portfolio is smaller. But now looking forward from today, interest rates are also a lot higher. Part of the reason your bond portfolio lost is because interest rates have been rising. And that increase in interest rates is offsetting the uh, the loss of financial assets so that the replacement rate available today did not drop. It, it stayed steady, even though the uh, retirement wealth index did drop uh, noticeably over the last year. Okay. So, so far, what we've come just to begin to, because we're speaking numbers and in episodes where we're talking a lot about this, it's good to just level set. So far, 
where you are right now, if you would have, if you would have been a diligent saver, and if you retired January the first, you'd be walking out with a, your save. If you look at your statements, it, sh- it should be roughly nine point eight times your current salary. Boom. That's historically at the seventeenth percentile. So there have been eighty three. 82% of the time, it's, it's been better. Uh, that being the case, if you were to turn around and take that 9.8 salary, which out of, let's say you started with $100,000 when you began this experiment, and there's been no inflation, and your salary is still $100,000 on the day you retire, you you walk out with, you have you should have roughly $980,000 in your nest egg from, from this. That could support buying an annuity that will pay out $38,700 a year, 38%, 38 38.7% replacement rate. We've been kind of buffered a little, not buffered, but we've we've been cushioned a little bit the past few years because rates have been going up. So that's that's helped out on, on the payout amount. But it's still on a relative basis since 1980, since 1984 or 82, is pretty low. It, it the replacement rate was over a hundred percent in the year two thousands, but it's been going steadily. After the financial crash, it, it really sunk, and you know we're hovering around forty percent the last few years. So far, so good, mm-hmm. right, Wade? Yeah, you got it right. And, and also, the, because this is based on a real inflation adjusted income, we haven't had tips for the whole history. And the, the Cleveland Federal Reserve Bank does estimate real interest rates going back to nineteen eighty two. So that was the constraint on this chart, that these numbers go back to 1982. And the replacement rate was higher in 1982, even though the real or the retirement wealth index had a lower number, interest rates were quite a bit higher in 1982. And so still, the replacement rate then was around 60%. And okay. even though the wealth accumulation index is less today. But you've, you've answered uh, right. You've answered for this person, the hypothetical person reading this, okay, I should have this amount of money you know, check this amount of money. If I wanted to be protected income at its most extreme case and buy a pension on the open market, I would be getting a distribution of 38 K, you know, mm-hmm. and let me be exact here. Uh, 38.7 K. Now, if I don't want to buy a, a open annuity and I'm, let's say I'm tied to segmentation and it's most extreme case where I'm just buying a, a dedicated portfolio. I don't even know that's time segmentation, really, but if I'm just getting a, a dedicated portfolio. And what I mean is you're getting bonds. You want to set it up. So we've checked off the annuity sort of income only piece. You want to talk about the, the next one, which is sustainable spending from just dedicated income sources. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so as you scroll down the dashboard, you get into the sustainable spending from dedicated income sources and it shows spending numbers, spending rates for 30 year bond ladders as well as for single premium immediate annuities for a, and the, these examples are for a 65 year old couple joint and hundred percent survivor benefits. So the same income for the lifetime of both individuals and it is a life only annuity. It's the, uh, the bond ladder numbers are based on the long-term real, well, real and nominal long-term interest rates on January 1st, 2023, and the 30-year treasury was at 4.11% then. <laughs> it's declined since then, actually. <laughs> uh, interest rates are so volatile these days. 
the 30-year TIPS yield, the Treasury Inflation Protected Security, it's, was it's, at 1.78 percent. Wait, that's okay because this this will we'll publish this next week, and maybe the rates are back don't, back don't be back, back to where <laughs> this was. For. Yeah, keep your fingers crossed for that. <laughs> But but yeah, that's then, okay, if I could get an average yield out of my 30-year bond ladder based on that average long-term real interest rate, which is a, I'm, I was saying 30 years, but these are, I, I meant to say, these are the long-term average interest rates as reported by the Treasury Department. So the average long-term rate was 4.11. The average real long-term rate was 1.78. And that does correspond to if I actually went through the mechanics of building a bond ladder with the entire yield curve available. If you build a 30-year bond ladder, what you're looking at is for spending with no inflation adjustment, so just fixed spending, the the spending rate would be 5.62%. And that would give you, with bonds, 30 years of spending, no increases for inflation, if you had a million dollars saved, $56,200 a year, not inflation adjusted, and you'd spend your portfolio down to zero at the end of the 30 So year. You're, you're 65 years old. You're putting your life expectancy as 95, mm-hmm. you know, because you're going to have zero money after because you're using a 100% bond portfolio, but you're, you're taking the yield and when they mature, they mature, and then you're going to use those maturities as well, et cetera, et cetera. So you're saying you could take out from that. Five point six two. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that now compares favorably to provided. the four percent rule, right? Well, yeah. Although this one wouldn't be the, there's a later number coming, so okay. depends Thank on you. the spending strategy. the The four percent rule equivalent's coming up soon. But All right. The, uh, All right. Next Sorry, I was trying is... to preview it, but okay, you're right. You're right. <laughs> I, I think. Well, I, I've been making that point for years, and actually, David Blanchett, I think, just released an article on Think Advisor encouraging people not to confuse uh, fixed spending for inflation adjusted spending. So the the next number is I want my spending to grow annually at 2% as a fixed number. So not pure inflation adjustments yet, but just a fixed 2% growth rate on my spending. With the built-in ability to grow spending at 2% a year, the uh, initial spending rate I could use with a bond ladder would be 4.41%. So 5.6 drops down to 4.4 to allow, it's an initial, lower initial starting point, but then spending will grow at 2% a year for the 30 years. And then the the CPI adjusted number. So this is the one that's more equivalent of the 4% real logic where you have constant inflation Inflation, adjusted. Constant inflation. Spending matches the CPI. And you get that by investing this 30-year ladder would be built with TIPS, Treasury Inflation Protected Securities. And, and to make a 4% rule work, you need about a 1.3% real rate. Well, the real rate was 1.78%, and that translates into a 4.25% sustainable spending rate uh, for that 30-year period with inflation adjustment, more than 4%, which no. it, for a long time, it was going to be less because <laughs> interest rates were, the entire TIPS yield curve was negative at some points, and that supports a much lower spending number than at the present. We're now at, again, 4.25%. So if you lock in now on 100% bonds, taking making it a dedicated portfolio, assuring you both don't live to 90, past 95, it's this is what you would get, right? It's, it's kind of, it's, it's not the end mm-hmm. of the world, really. 
right? Yeah, it's right? much more attractive than past yeah, exactly. <laughs> estimates with lower interest rates. This is one of these. Now, that would usually... be a little bit. Go on. Mm-hmm. I just, I mean, today interest rates have come down. They're still above the number needed to have 4% work. So it's still above 4%, but it wouldn't be quite. I know, but you would be getting that without any market volatility. It's, it's a dedicated bond portfolio. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's no market a, volatility. It's a huge kind of thing. Uh, how does this compare? You have it on the other column. Obviously, I'm looking at it, but I just want to verbalize it. How does this compare <laughs> to the the SPIA, the single premium immediate, immediate annuity, life only, if you mm-hmm. were to buy an open market pension from a distribution yeah, so standpoint, yeah. apples to apples? You've got a couple. They're both 65. They're buying life only joint SPIA to provide an income for the rest of both of their lives. So it's not fixed to 30 years. If they don't live very long, they're not getting as much. If they live a long time, they they know they're going to get the spending they need to match their lifetime, their joint lifetime. And for the fixed spending, it's 6.42%. And this is the uh, the average of the top three quotes available at immediateannuities.com. That's where these numbers are coming from. But the bond ladder was 5.6. The annuity providing the equivalent fixed spending is 6.4%. With the caveat that it's not adjusted for inflation, it's just straight up flat number. Well, neither of these numbers are adjusted for yeah, inflation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's right. And uh, it's it's higher because the joint life expectancy of the couple is less than 30 years. Then you've got the 2% cost of living adjustment spending goal. The annuity with a 2% COLA has a 5.1% payout compared to 4.4% for the equivalent 30-year bond ladder. So again, higher spending power, longevity protected, but then your beneficiaries don't get anything in this scenario if you live less than 30 years. But you know you're covered if you live more than 30 years. That's the trade-off in addition to the higher income. You said it with the life expectancy comment. But why would why would we expect to see a number in which the annuity is actually on a distribution basis paying out a little higher? So folks can kind of understand. Because well the annuity it, it offers the risk pooling, so it's calibrated more to the life expectancy. And so if fifty percent of the couples don't have somebody making it to ninety five the insurance company doesn't have to plan the spending to last in 95 in the way that the bond, that the bond ladder does. And that's why you're getting the, the situation that the annuity is offering a higher payout rate. The longer the uh, bond ladder is meant to last, the lower the spending rate it could provide. If I only wanted a 20-year bond ladder, that would give me a higher payout rate than the annuity because the annuity's projected life expectancy would be more than 20 years. <laughs> But uh, in this scenario where I want the money to last for 30 years, the bond ladder is going to give me less spending than the annuity. Okay. So you've taken, just in the the process of this, we've looked at what would happen from a replacement rate buying an open market pension, if you will, a private pension, Hanson annuity. What would happen if you, instead of doing that, buy a, a complete dedicated portfolio and dedicated portfolio is you're buying individual bonds that are providing a yearly yield and they're maturing and you're just taking all of those assets and using it for the dis- for your distribution and then you compare that fixed 2% cola cpi adjusted to an equivalent annuity to assess just the the percent distributions we're not doing that with the individual annuities simply because 
for CPI adjusted because there is no annuity that sells per those, you know, per that characteristic. Yeah, since January 2020, no commercial annuity provider offers a CPI adjusted annuity. Social you, Security is a CPI adjusted annuity. Yeah, exactly. Annuity, now you can say why why doesn't no anyone oh, We get this question a lot, why doesn't anyone why doesn't anyone offer that? That's one of these first things that comes up. I mean, you kind of have to make do with a cola that you feel comfortable with because I I would say and please correct me here, wait. Insurance companies, it's very hard for them to price it. And so, because inflation is so volatile, you know, and it's hard to price it, that they would have to charge you so much for that, that it, it wouldn't make that much sense ultimately. Yeah, they they can't hedge the inflation risk beyond 30 years. They, they can up to 30 years, but for those payments that go beyond 30 years, they don't have any mechanism to hedge that risk. And so that makes it harder. I think there's, it's partly a, a supply and demand type problem as well, where that when they offer those, the consumer interest is minimal. And kind of the running joke is when they did have CPI adjusted income annuities, hardly anyone purchased them. Hardly anyone searched out for them. I, there was one relatively recent New York Times article where the author actually sought out the one person that bought a CPI adjusted SPIA through one of the major online annuity sellers. And, and, and how did you respond when they contacted actuary. you? How did you respond when they contacted you? <laughs> no, it wasn't you? me. <laughs> it was, a, but it was a retired actuary living in Arizona, and actuaries may understand the value of inflation-adjusted income. But he saw an arbitrage. He saw. He saw. Yeah, he, he saw an saw opportunity. opportunity. <laughs> and he was probably pretty happy when inflation started picking up these last couple of years too. All right, all right. And so then, we, as we go down that this dashboard, what's the where do we take this now? Now, okay, we did all those kind of, you know, it's not too dissimilar from going through the RISA and strategies and, and all of that. Now, from a total return standpoint, what do you got? Yep. And, and so that's where, okay, what's the safe withdrawal rate? Like, does the 4% rule work? Or what's the equivalent of a 4% rule? And that's what the uh, the next table, the sustainable spending from volatile investment portfolios addresses. And so it looks at different spending strategies, and then it offers the the spending projections for conservative, moderate, and aggressive. And those just relate to what kind of asset allocation will you you use, how long do you want the money to last, what probability of success are you seeking, and so forth. And so when we talk about something like the 4% rule, the assumptions for that would be the closest to the moderate scenario where the the 4% rule, strictly speaking, was based on historical data with 100% success rate. But if you start to translate that same data into a Monte Carlo simulation, you're looking at around a 90 to 95% success rate for the 4% rule with a 50 to 75% stock allocation. And so that's the the closest to the moderate scenario, which is you're going to use 50% stocks in retirement. And you want a 90% chance that you don't deplete the portfolio by 30 years into retirement. The the, uh, conservative scenario is you use 25% stocks and you want a 95% chance that you have at least 10% of your wealth remaining by the 35th year of retirement. And then the aggressive scenario is you're going to use a 75% stock allocation and you seek an 80% chance that you will not deplete your investments by year 30 of retirement. You got all of and that, so guys? So we've got, we've got numbers here. 
there's the nine numbers because there's those three different spending strategies for these three different sets of assumptions. And then I, it also gets into what if you had a buffer asset and also what if you use a variable spending strategy? What, what, I, would, so, what I would recommend is we did a whole series on uh, sustainable withdrawal rates. And so if you're in this dashboard and you're looking at it and you're seeing like the Guyton-Klinger decision rules and, and things along those lines – just just to have a listen to the, the those episodes where we discuss them just to help you along the way with, with you know with with regards to these items here mhm and when we did discuss the Guyton and Klinger decision rules part of that conversation was I was explaining how for the analysis we were talking about that day I simplified the rules because I think they're just way too complicated to use in real life uh this table going back to when I created this all 7 years ago or so this is using the more pure version of the Guyton and Klinger decision rules. And the uh, the notes do explain the the particular decision rules used for that. Okay. And so what's the, what's the number? Everyone's waiting. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, so if you were just talking about fixed spending, and we'll just mention that briefly first, because uh, it's not what you people are usually thinking about when they talk about safe withdrawal rates. But from conservative to moderate to aggressive, you're 3.7%. 4.88%, 5.38%. And by fixed spending, you mean you have $100,000 and I'm going to take out $4,880 a year mm-hmm. for, that's 30, the for the rest of my life. Yeah, that's the moderate. For the rest of my life, that's the exact number that I'm taking. I'm not adjusting it for inflation or anything like that. It's fixed. Yeah, and then, right, no inflation adjustment. And since that's the moderate number, it means you're using a 50% stock allocation. And then you have a 90% chance that by doing that, you're still going to have money left after 30 years. And the range on that is 3.7? A 10% chance that it's empty. You've, you've run out before 30 years, and, and that's quote-unquote failure for that retirement. Okay, 4.88. I'm liking it. <laughs> you know, But again, that's no growth. That's a steady number. Are you getting close to or are you in retirement? Well, investing during retirement is a little bit different than during your working years. Your investments are there to help you pay for retirement. And now is when they need to earn their keep. To make sure you're on the right track, download Retirement Researcher's 8 Tips to Becoming a Retirement Income Investor by heading over to retirementresearcher.com slash 8 tips. Again, get Retirement Researcher's 8 Tips to Becoming a Retirement Income Investor by going to retirementresearcher.com slash 8 tips. That's the number 8 tips. Yeah, then with a 2% fixed COLA spending, your conservative number is 2.73. The moderate, 3.8%, it's getting closer to the um, 4% rule number. Now, this is, this is still 2% COLA, not true inflation adjustments. It's a coincidence. Well, not, I mean, it's some relationships, but 3.8 is the number that Morningstar recently came out with. Well, 3.8% is my moderate number for spending with a 2% COLA. And then the aggressive number is 4.24%. The inflation adjusted spending, now that's the one that's really the 4% rule assumes inflation adjusted spending. And before saying these numbers, just to explain a little more, the simulations I'm doing here start from today's inflation levels, interest rate levels, 
primarily. They use the historical stock market risk premium, and then they allow both inflation and interest rates to evolve over time. So when we look at like what do the yield curves tell us, over the next year, the markets are expecting inflation to be around 3.4%. Uh, in 2022, inflation was 6.5%. But inflation is expected to come down quickly over the next five years. The average inflation rate implied by the markets is only 2.3%. And we talked about this as well in last week's episode. And so, you, you actually have in the dashboard, we're not, we're, we're probably not going to discuss that today because we did last time. But if you go to the bottom of the dashboard, we, 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 kind, of, we kind of show how, how to calculate sort of an expected inflation rate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's just the difference between treasury yields and tips yields. Wait, come so on. That, we wanted to make it sound like it was a lot more than that. You, you When you say it's just simple <laughs> simple subtraction. Yeah, you're trying to tease people to listen to last week's episode. Huh? <laughs> Where's, you, I, there's no intrigue, man. <laughs> I spoiled it. Sorry. No, no, no. I'm <laughs> kidding. It, things don't need to be complicated. It, it's simply yeah, subtracting out the, the tips out of, the, out of the equation. Mm-hmm. But there is a, a sequence of inflation risk. And that's just because inflation is higher at the beginning. That's going to make this inflation-adjusted number a bit less than the 2% colon number, uh, quite a bit less than what it would have been in the past when inflation started from a lower point. And so, well, the conservative number is 1.9%. The moderate number is 2.93%. And the aggressive number is 3.38%. Okay, so so in your in your world... And we get these these interviews all the time from you know journalists. What's the new four percent rule? You would kind of say two point nine three percent, but all is not that lost. That would be yeah, go, go the closest to the. Mm-hmm. All right, but all but, is not lost. Wait, I would say sorry. Just I want to get this point across because you know go you you mentioned Blanchett, right? We don't spend. It's not realistic. We don't spend like the four percent rule. You, you you spend like with a blend of all of these things above it as well. The two percent cola. Sometimes you don't pull the full inflation, and sometimes you don't put any inflation growth. So I, I would say, you know, somewhere between two point nine three and four point eight eight in a in a moderate portfolio is kind of what you would be looking at, because the reality mm-hmm. is no one just locks in on something and and flies blindly. There's constant calibration that happens year to year. And it's some sort of blend of that. And also, as Bob was talking about last week, the uh, 6.5% inflation rate for 2022 is kind of a historical artifact in that most of that inflation happened in the first half of the year. Inflation was a lot lower in the second half of the year. And I didn't make any sort of adjustment for that. But to the extent that maybe inflation's already coming down, that would help bring that 2.9% number up higher. Wait, so have, I, you, I really have you been to the grocery store? Did you go to the grocery store this well, week? Well, eggs. Yeah, <laughs> eggs are the exception, right? <laughs> no, I've, I've seen some restaurant menus have 50% inflation rates and so <laughs> forth. It's kind of wild. But uh, overall, I, I would be comfortable. Like that, that 2.9% number is quite a bit lower than the 3.8% that you get with the 2% spending cost of living adjustment. I'd be comfortable really saying something that's closer to the, the 3.8% number. I mean, it's got to be a little bit less than that to account for the CPI well, growth. Well, especially uh, considering that if you look at the expected long-term inflation rate, you know, uh, uh, absent what's going on right now with Powell is going to raise, is going to, you know, th- those kind of daily market machinations. Yeah, you're looking at, if you look below, five-year projection to be somewhere like two and change, 2.3, right? 
So I agree with you 100% with, with what you're saying that, the, you know, the current 4% rule looks like it's 2.93 because that's it's taking the year-end inflation number when that's kind of a little bit of a anomaly. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to make those kinds of judgment calls where I completely just ignore the, the methodology as you used last year's inflation number. I don't want to start parsing that out into well, not having con- a justifiable assumption. So no, that's no, but you have to be consistent and, and leave it there. But yeah, I get it. Mm-hmm. There's a caveat to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, the caveat again being probably you could use a little bit higher than that 2.93% because it does look like inflation is coming down and we're not going to have anywhere near the, the 6.5% inflation rate for 2023. And then we had three more of these buffer yeah, assets. Then we've there got, we go. Well, what if you had a buffer asset? So now we've got time segmentation. <laughs> well, not well, really. Time segmentation it's a buffer. Yeah, yeah, it's somewhat a buffer. addressed Sorry. with the bond ladder. The uh, buffer asset, what if you had outside of your portfolio five years of spending available? It could be a reverse mortgage line of credit. It could be whole life insurance. It could just be a big pile of cash that you don't count as part of your portfolio. Then you just have to be careful that, well, if you move cash out of the portfolio, maybe you can use a higher withdrawal rate on your portfolio, but you have less money in the portfolio now, so you're not necessarily any better off there. But just maybe at this point, sticking with the moderate assumptions to not have so many numbers to talk about. If you're looking for that 2% spending adjustment on the inflation and you had a five-year buffer asset on the sidelines, you could start with 4.7% out of your portfolio. And that's 4.7% of the portfolio, not 4.7% of the portfolio plus the buffer asset. So that increased it from 38 to 4.7%. Having a buffer asset can have a big impact. Equivalently, with the CPI adjusted spending in the moderate scenario, the the number increases to 3.62%. So it went from the 2.9 to 3.6 with having that five-year buffer asset. That can help uh, in a notable way or noticeable way to to, uh, support a higher spending distribution rate for the retiree. And then the uh, Guyton and Klinger numbers as we talked about in the past episode, when we looked at variable spending, these sorts of strategies can dramatically reduce the initial spending rate. And they just do that by incorporating the ability to make potentially dramatic spending reductions later on. But the uh, moderate number can get up to 5.44% if you follow the Guyton and Klinger decision rules. So, and that, I'm sorry, that, that's not inflation adjusted spending. That's not 2% COLA. That's, I'm going to use a variable spending strategy that will typically involve making cuts to my spending throughout retirement. And by knowing in advance that I'm willing to make those cuts, I can start at 5.44% as my initial distribution rate in the moderate. Uh, So that's 50% stocks and a 90% chance you want to have money left after the, the Guyton and Klinger rules do allow you to deplete your portfolio. Unlike some other variable spending strategies. So wait, uh, is it fair to say, you know, uh, you're looking at the investments, you know, it's the year end, starting of the new year. You're looking at your quarterly reports and year end reports, and they're just showing investment returns, right? What, what's more interesting to us with these kind of adjustments that we make is the context. At the end of the day, especially in retirement, we're not just thinking about accumulation, is how do you source retirement income? 
And so relative to potential time segmentation strategies, as Wade mentioned with the bond ladder examples that we gave, income protection, as as we discussed with the buying a personal pension, if you will, through a SPIA, or even total return with with this, with, with these uh, distribution rates, whatever that strategy is that sings to you, I would take a gander of, you know, of this dashboard just to make sure that the distribution that you're taking kind of aligns with something like this. And it's not off by orders of magnitude, at least on the up, on the, on the higher end, simply because that you, you want to make sure that you're, you know, that you're not like out of whack with, with the realm of reality, if you will. And so that's, that's how that's, if I'm a consumer listening in, I'm kind of looking at it like that. I'm, I'm looking at whatever my money I'm taking out, be it the rolling ladder, this or that, and just getting a sense of, okay, this is what I'm looking at. Obviously, if you're getting ready to retire, you can also just take a look at what the economies of these things are and and know what you're getting into, you know, from a realistic standpoint. If I have a question, yeah. though, wait. Oh, sorry. Go on. Was before it's kind of where you're going to wrap things up. No, no, still I have another. a question. <laughs> I, no, I wasn't going to wrap it up, but go on. <laughs> it's going to try Never. to stop you from ending the episode. No, there, this, the dashboard was created before we had the retirement income style awareness. But the there is also an example here of the income protection strategy, which is, uh, so we're back to the scenario of 2% spending growth. If we're thinking we're, we're moderate, we're looking at a 3.8% withdrawal rate. If we thought about, well, what if we build a floor of lifetime income with 30% of our assets in an immediate annuity with a 2% COLA, we'd have a 5.1% payout rate there. What if having that reliable income in place makes us feel more comfortable with our remaining investments to then shift towards the aggressive approach? You use a higher stock allocation uh, be comfortable with an 80% success rate instead of a 90% success rate. That would also let us um, bump up to a 4.24% withdrawal rate from the investments. When you blend 30% in the annuity, 70% from the investments, you're looking at an overall distribution rate of 4.5%. So the 3.8% moderate spending number was able to increase to a 4.5% uh, spending rate, blending an immediate annuity with a more aggressive investment approach for the remainder of the the funds, and, and Wait, so that's another way you might think about this as well. You're a ma- you're a magician, man. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it, but <laughs> yeah. it's a good point. You're just bringing in. Think about your preferences and how you can kind of blend them. The the other piece, what I was going to mention, and you may want to give it some some thought here for everyone as a as a parting thought is. If you're looking at these numbers and they just don't work for you beyond what you said, what are what are some things you could do? And where I was going with this, and you we started talking about it a little bit, but just you know, including integrating insurance into the investments, uh, you know, starting up higher with a variable rate, knowing that you got to be willing to come down, and it's not unrealistic because your spending doesn't go up as you get older, or even you know, using buffer assets. You you kind of started with. Uh, the reverse mortgages, but there, there's there's many ways to begin to to go about kind of helping you with this. Yeah, yeah, the, there's definitely approaches that can get you above four percent now as a distribution rate, and so if you've got that four percent rule in mind, uh, not everything will get you above four percent, but certainly 
with some flexibility and, and with some kind of combining different approaches, you might be able to get to a position where you feel comfortable with a number like that for spending in retirement. Well, wait, I got a little bit of bad news. Because of the inflation, you, you, I think we're going to get a lot of write-ins for you to update this for the end of the quarter. What do you think? <laughs> no, no. It's not that hard to update. I, I could do it more frequently, so we'll see. Yeah, maybe every – that I'll was just, the original I'll idea. Just you, just, if we need content <laughs> Look for, for the podcast, we'll April. update it, and then we can we, – we, we, right. we got a show in the back somebody, pocket. If somebody listens to this episode in the future, they'll say, wait a second, none of these numbers match up. <laughs> that may be because we updated it the, since January 2023. But again, for us, this is what we mean when we say, okay, what, what do the stock market returns – have in play for us we don't look at it from like an investment point of view of you know forecasting some magical thing we look at it from the point of view of what does this tell us from a spending standpoint because we can do more with that and it, ultimately that's more of the end game for why you're investing anyways so i i strongly encourage you to check out retirementresearchercom forward slash dashboard or like wade said just go to retirementresearchercom resources dashboard and you'll you'll figure it out from there. So thank you for that on my end. Wait. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Hope you have a great week. And thanks, as always, for listening to Retire With Style. All right. Take care. Wade and Alex are both principals in McLean Asset Management and Retirement Researcher. Both are SEC-registered investment advisors located in Tysons, Virginia. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational and educational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific securities. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor. All investing comes with a risk, including risk of loss. Past performance does not guarantee future results.